To be disciplined can make you feel bad, but we need to remember it is because God loves us. And I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad for the Lord's correction about a few things here lately. One of the things the Lord convicted me of was the need to be grateful in all things, in everything, not for, I'm glad he didn't say for everything, he didn't say for everything, but he said in everything, give thanks. And I have found that as one of the best ways to, to climb on top of your circumstances. It's not easy to do when you don't feel like it, but if somehow you can get yourself to say, thank you, Lord, thank you, it'll help you. It'll help you. We started talking to you a little bit last week about the good life from Matthew chapter 5. Most of us will be feeling pretty good this coming Thursday. Um, we will get those dopamine levels up from enjoying a good meal with family or with friends, most of us, I assume. Um, Maybe a few that, that will not have that privilege, but most of us, we'll, we will just be ready uh, to think about how blessed we are. You know, you enjoy a, a good meal and uh, spend time with people you love. It's hard not to think about how blessed you are. Those are pretty easy circumstances under which we can say we feel blessed, aren't they? In fact, we actually live in a world that makes it seem pretty obvious when we are blessed and enjoying the good life, it, at least in, in Western America, uh, in, in our part of the world. It's pretty obvious. We tend to think in ways, and the world around us tends to think in ways uh, that says, blessed are the slender. Blessed are the popular. Blessed are the complimented. Blessed are the successful. Blessed are those who have it all. And we have this way of looking at life uh, based on the conditions that we enjoy and um, People say, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And certainly, it, it's true. We ought to be thankful for the good things that we enjoy. But Jesus indicates that there's another perspective, another way we ought to look at this. Just to give you a little review of some of the things that we covered last week, uh, talking about Jesus' gospel, the gospel that Jesus came preaching uh, in the typical modern evangelical world today. Uh, in, in fact, many people that aren't part of that world but know something about church and the Bible, if you ask them about the gospel, most of them will say it has something to do with having your sins forgiven so that you can go to heaven when you die typical understanding of the gospel. But Matthew chapter 4, 
uh, tells us a little bit more about Jesus' gospel. <clears throat> Matthew 4.17 says that from that time Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in verse 23, it says, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news about the kingdom. That is that the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. And we think about this and we need to stop to ask the question, who was Jesus preaching to? Who was it that he was primarily addressing when he was preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Well, if you will excuse me from borrowing this phrase from a couple of years ago, it was the basket of deplorables. You remember that phrase from a few years ago? Look again at the kind of people that followed Jesus in his ministry. Verse 24 of Matthew chapter 4, his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons and epileptics and paralytics and he healed them. How many of you have ever seen an epileptic seizure? Most of you, yeah. So you can imagine the chaos. If... If that were to, I, I saw it happen in school. I remember when I was a boy in grade school, another student uh, with epilepsy uh, had a seizure in the middle of the day. And I'm telling you, everything else grinds to a halt. Nothing else, so you, you know, you stop and you give attention to that one thing. Can you imagine the hundreds or thousands of people following Jesus and following his ministry? Now, these weren't the only ones, but this, this is a... This is a picture of the typical uh, following of people that pursued Jesus. Great crowds followed him, and they were made up of those who were sick and afflicted with various diseases and pains and epileptics and all of this. And it says here in Matthew 5, 1, seeing these crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I understand I'm, I'm, I'm rushing through them this morning. You see, most of the people that were pursuing Jesus and were spending time in his company were not the ones that the society at large would call blessed. They're not the ones that people would look at and say, oh, blessed are you. And I believe one of the big ideas that Jesus is trying to communicate to us is that there's nobody that we cannot look at and say, blessed are you, because the blessing is not found in the condition that is cited, but the blessing is found in spite of the condition that is there. The blessing is available to anybody regardless of their status or their position in life or, or their, the kind of suffering or the problem that they have or whatever tendency or propensity to sin we might have. I, that just occurred to me. I just kind of threw that in at the last minute. Um, we tend to grade 
sins in the church and in the world. And we look at people who have certain tendencies and certain propensities towards a certain kind of sin. And um, we tend, at least in our minds, to separate them and write them off. Jesus says there's nobody that you cannot look at and say, blessed are you. And the reason for that is because of the availability of the kingdom of the heavens. It is the good news about the kingdom that Jesus came preaching to all of these people who had been previously thought to be unblessable. Jesus says that circumstances are not a reliable indicator of whether or not we enjoy God's blessing. To which, and, and let me stop here, and really a big part of what this is about this morning is just to push back against this idea a little bit and say, really? Is this really true? And if it's really true, do we really believe it as Christians? Do we really believe it? And, and probably a bigger question to ask would be, does that belief translate from our head down into our hearts and work itself out into our day-to-day -day living and the way we act and the way we behave? What about all of the evil and the pain and the suffering in this world? When we think about the problem of evil, this is an old, old problem, a, a centuries-old problem. When we think about it, we usually consider this a problem for skeptics. That is, people who are either atheistic or agnostic in their, in their worldview, and they want to argue against the existence of God. And they use this idea that if there really is a God, and He's all-powerful and all-knowing and all-good, then well, how come all of this evil and suffering exists in this world? Well, that argument on the face of it doesn't make sense coming from the perspective of an atheist, but that's a different sermon. <laughs> we don't have time to go into that. But this is basically the problem. If God is good and powerful, why does evil continue to exist? And the reality is, it is not just a problem for the skeptic or the unbeliever, the person that's trying to argue against the existence of God. It can be a problem for Christians, too. For people who follow God, too, we can go back as far back as the Psalms, and probably earlier, Psalm 73, verse 3, the psalmist writes this. He said, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. 
In other words, as far back as this, these thousands of years ago, there were people, and, and not just random people out in the world who didn't believe that there is a God, but people who, who know Jehovah and follow him and try to live him and serve him. They're asking these questions. Oh, God, if you are so good and powerful, why does all of this evil exist in the world? And how is it that so many people seem to be getting by with all of the evil that they get by with? The wicked are fat and flourishing. They're sleek. It's not uncommon for us to experience the cruel, harsh, what seems to be reality of life on this broken planet. As we look around and we see mass shootings and natural disasters and and incredible injustice in the world around us. And thinking about whether or not to add a commentary on something that just happened and I I will refrain from doing that because I don't want to go into a controversial area. Whatever you think about what you have heard has happened this past week in the news at large, whether you agree with it and you think justice was done or whether you disagree and think that justice was not done. Either way, There's a conflict. There's a conflict. And we say, oh God, how can can you really be good and powerful and and continue to allow conditions like this to persist in this world that we live in? You see, the presence of evil will always be a problem for anybody, believer or unbeliever if we do not interpret reality from a kingdom perspective. From a kingdom perspective. I find it happening in my own life. In fact, one of the things that God convicted me about this past week was focusing too much on my circumstances and, and saying things like, oh, you know, I, I don't... And honestly, try to spin it as positive as I can, at least my response to it. I I don't know why there's so much trouble and why I'm struggling and why God allows these kinds of circumstances to persist. But God, you know, with God's help, you know, I'm going to keep hanging on and keep believing, keep trusting God. (laughs) And a couple days ago, God reminded me of the verse of Scripture from 1 Thessalonians 5 that says, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. And he said, you haven't been doing that. The presence of evil in our world will always be a problem if we fail to interpret reality from a kingdom perspective. This goes back to when we were talking about Jonah a few weeks ago. You can look through a lens of secular humanistic wisdom maybe spiritualize or Christianize it a little bit and say things like, I deserve to be happy. Some people actually in the church, some people, don't you think God wants you to be happy? I believe big picture, yes. God wants us to be happy, but that means from God's perspective, not necessarily what it means from our perspective. 
But if we Christianize or spiritualize this and, and we say, I, I ought to be happy, I ought to have a good life, uh, I m- must, well, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Um, let, me just, let me just go here. Theories of reality. We, we all have this, whether we realize it or not. Theories of, of reality. And your theory of reality is simply the lens through which you view life and the world around you and circumstances. And it is that way that you think about things that moves your, your thought process and your responses to life in general and, and how it works itself out around you. Most of us have a theory of the good life, what the good life is. I must be liked. I must be praised. I must get raises. My children must be successful and get good grades. People must be pleasant when I'm around and nice to me. And it goes on and on and on. And, and that tends to be the, the framework through which we view life, reality. And when that is the case, now you might say, now preacher, I don't really believe that. You may intellectually not believe that, but I would venture to say most of us, most of us think this way. I'll be honest and say I tend to think this way. I want uh, to be liked. <laughs> I really want to be liked. And it bothers me if I feel like maybe somebody doesn't like me. Um, praised, I'm not so comfortable with that one. Um, raises are nice. Validating, aren't they? You know, you did a good job. You, you've done your job well, you get a raise. Oh, that's great. Children, successful, people must be pleasant when I... This is a big one for me. People must be pleasant when I'm around. I, I'm an introvert. And introverts always have... Um, there's two levels of thought process going on. There is a, a level of thinking that is up front and, and direct, but then there's also another level of thinking that's going on behind the scenes that is just like, it, it hardly ever stops. If you, if you are this kind of person, you know what, exactly what I'm talking about. I wonder, why, I wonder why they used that tone of voice. I wonder why they had that expression on their face when they spoke to me. I wonder why they didn't speak to me when they walked by. I want, and it's just, it's just, it, it's never ending. And well, you know, if you'd pray about that, and the Lord could help people. There are some things that it's just part of of who we are, and the only help for it is to shift our the lens through which we view reality so that we think 
differently. Let me give you a little more concrete reality uh, or, or picture of this kind of reality. Um, my theory of reality as a little boy had to do with things like toys and candy and getting what I wanted when I wanted it. And we used to live in, in the southern part of Middle Tennessee, close to Chattanooga. Some, most of you have probably heard of it. You, you, you probably know at least know about the song, The Chattanooga Choo Choo. um, That's where it comes from. And we lived maybe 25 or 30 minutes away from Chattanooga. And usually once a week we would go to Chattanooga uh, for a number of reasons. And there in in a little out-of-the-way place, a, a kind of a touristy area, there was an what would I can only describe as an old-fashioned uh, toy store, toy shop. I mean, it was, it was not anything like Toys R Us or anything, which we don't even have Toys R Us anymore, but it, it was not anything like that. It was just one of these old, very nostalgic-looking toy stores, and, and uh, my, my parents at one point probably realized later that they'd have made a mistake in ever taking us in there. But they just randomly took us in there one day for, for a visit. And, oh, it was just fascinating. And, and I, you know, I was probably six, seven years old. And I saw things I'd never seen before and old-fashioned toys, old, you know, just really, really cool stuff. And, and from that time on, I thought that my world was not right if we went to Chattanooga and did not get to go to that store. Even if we didn't buy anything, I still wanted to go to just look. And uh, I, I let my mom and dad know that that was part of my theory of reality. If life was to be good, this is what, this is what had to happen. But reality uh, is, is not... Somebody said this, reality is what you run into when you are wrong. Reality is what you run into when you are wrong. This poor lady's theory of reality told her that a door was open for her to walk right through. And no matter what she thought about what was real, she found out she was wrong. It wasn't real. So in, that, that's a long introduction, isn't it? It's a very long introduction. The rest is not going to be as long as the introduction. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about kingdom reality. Jesus concludes the Beatitudes with these, what are really, I find, disturbing words. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you. That word doesn't even sound nice. Revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Whoopee! For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets 
who were before you. How, how and why are these things true? I mean, is there something meritorious about suffering? I, I will be honest with you, I've told you this before, and I, I still believe it's true. God has used the difficult times in my life to teach me and shape me more than he's ever used any of the good times in my life. I, I do know that's true. However, I, I don't believe that there's anything specifically meritorious in suffering. If there was, if we earn God's grace and we earn God's blessing through, you know, that's what, you, you go back a thousand years or so and you have, find people putting gravel in their shoes and walking around because they believed that there was something meritorious about suffering. You see people doing something called flagellation. You know what flagellation is? They, they would have whips and they would, you know, walk around whacking themselves on the back, sometimes very, very severely because of this belief. If it was true that suffering was meritorious, then, then we should just all become masochists. We should just all learn to enjoy suffering and, and inflict as much pain on ourselves as we can. But I don't believe that's true. You see, the, the truth is we, we live in overlapping kingdoms. Now, this may sound like I'm, I'm going a lot of different directions, but we're going to tie it all together uh, here in just a few minutes. We live in overlapping kingdoms. Most of us have a, a personal kingdom. We all have a kingdom. I have a kingdom. You have a kingdom. And really, our kingdoms are just domains of, of personal control. My kingdom is where what I say counts and where I'm in control. If you don't have, if you don't believe you have a kingdom, uh, well, let's just, this is the easiest example I can think of. I'm not just picking on the ladies, but this is just the easiest example I can think of. If you don't believe you have a kingdom, then imagine, ladies, that somebody randomly just came to sit down beside you. They're, they're not aggressive or anything like that, but they come, they sit down, and they, they look over and they see your purse sitting there. Say, oh. And they pick up your purse and sit it on their lap and they begin looking through and seeing what's in your purse and pulling things out. And What do you, what do, you do when that happens? What are you doing? Going through my purse. And you understand that that is an invasion of your kingdom. So we all have a personal kingdom. Most people spend most of their time and energy regulating their personal kingdom to make sure that all is well in their domain. But also there is what Jesus introduced to us as the kingdom of heaven. Now let me ask you a question. How far away is the kingdom of heaven? How far? Do you suppose it's as far away as Yukon or Mustang? Is it that far? Typical understanding of many people is that either in space, as in distance, or in time, that the kingdom of heaven is far away. 
And we, we encourage ourselves in this thinking at times when we sing songs. And I, I'm not throwing stones. I like the song. Uh, we sing songs like, What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face, the one who's... Wonderful song, wonderful truth. But without thinking about it, we encourage this notion that the kingdom of heaven is somewhere off in, in the distance either the distant future or somewhere far away. There was a song in the 80s. Uh, well, let's not do that. I told you this, the, the, the end is not going to be as long as the introduction, so I need to keep moving. Um, um, Jesus came preaching the gospel, which was about the availability of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We often interpret that as nearby, nearby. But no, it, what does it mean that it's, it's at hand? Here it is. Here it is. You're, you're following someone or someone's giving you direction, and you're walking, and you say, okay, your opening is at your left hand. Turn. Okay, here it is. That's what Jesus is saying. It's here. It is available. It's now. You can step into the kingdom of heaven. So our personal kingdom, our personal domains can, can be given over and surrendered over to God's kingdom, and we can be alive in the kingdom of God right now. And you see, this is the good news, is the fact that God is where we are. God is not somewhere far off in the distance. We don't have to wait for our circumstances to change. And I, I need to be careful how I say this, but we don't even have to wait for ourselves to change for God to be where we are. Now, there are times and conditions in which we make something the hinge upon which our relationship with God turns. And God knows we need to submit to him in, in that area and say, yes, Lord, I'll be obedient before we can be right with him. Okay, you understand? But outside of those kinds of conditions, you know, you don't, you don't have to get cleaned up to take a bath. That is the act of getting cleaned up. And God is where we are. You remember the story of Jacob's ladder? And all the conditions. Jacob's running for his life, and he's gone through all of this process of deceiving. I mean, he is such a deceitful, deceitful person. And he's running for his life. And he's out in the wilderness, and he's sleeping, and he makes for his pillow a stone and as he sleeps he has a dream and he sees angels ascending and descending on a stairway that goes to heaven and he wakes up in the morning and he says wow God was in this place and I knew it not oh people it's a one it is such a wonderful experience when you go through trouble 
and you go through difficulty and you go through hardship and circumstances aren't what you wish they were and you're struggling and you're suffering and then suddenly you come to the awareness. You say, oh, wow, God is in this place and I did not realize it. He's been with me. He's been here all the time. You see, friends, the kingdom of heaven is not distant. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven, he, he wasn't teaching them that he is somewhere far away, but he was teaching them he is as close to you as the air that you breathe. You see, God is where you are. And the kingdom of heaven is available. So let's talk here just for a moment about the kingdom perspective on reality. You see, perspective comes when you step back to see the bigger picture. I recently heard about a college girl's letter to her parents. And she wrote this. She said, I just wanted to let you know why I haven't written for a while. I broke my arm jumping out of the dorm during a fire. Peter, the gas station attendant from across the street, came to help put out the fire. By the way, it's taking them a long time to rebuild the dorm, so I'm living with Peter now. Oh, I'm pregnant also. We do plan to get married as soon as his divorce is finalized. Your loving daughter. P.S. None of the above is true. But I did get a C in chemistry, and I failed economics. I just wanted to help you keep things in perspective. Perspective. Perspective is when you step back to see the bigger picture. And you see, perspective in the kingdom has us stepping back to look at our circumstances in light of eternity. Think of Paul's words, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And then again, we can go back to the words Matthew 5, 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter, false, uh, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, your blessedness is not connected to your circumstances and the problems and the troubles that you deal with, but your blessedness is available in God's kingdom no matter who you are, no matter whether you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You know, when you are good and righteous, that's you're supposed to have good things happen, right? Amen? Don't you think that way? I tend to think that way. Blessed are you when you do, you know, when you have to do it, when you have to make a restitution and tell somebody that you're sorry for something that you said or did, what are they supposed to say? Oh, brother, God bless you. Uh, you know, you are such a kind and, and conscientious person. I'm, I'm just glad to accept your apology and, and you're forgiven. Isn't that the way people are supposed to react when you say you're sorry? They don't always do that. They don't always do that. Sometimes, most, a lot of times they do, but it's not always true. You see, friends, in the kingdom, we are not at the mercy of our circumstances. I don't have to try to get my own way. 
In the kingdom, we are not at the mercy of the people around us. I don't have to try to straighten everybody out. By the way, if you ever undertake that, um, God help you. God bless you. I, I know people that seem to think it's their job to try to straighten everybody else out around them. And uh, you know what you'll do? You'll end up making you and everybody else miserable. In the kingdom, we are not at the mercy of our circumstances. We are not at the mercy of other people. We don't have to straighten people out. And in the kingdom, nothing can threaten our ultimate well-being. Okay? Say, Pastor, do you think that means, are you saying we're never going to have trouble, we're never going to have problems? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is in the big picture, in in the light of eternity, in the kingdom, nothing can threaten my ultimate well-being. That means I don't have to worry or or fuss or fret or stress or strain over what's happening to me or what's happening around me. I can simply rest and be secure in God's kingdom. With these words I close. This is exactly why this idea is exactly why Paul gave us these words at the end of Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. And, and he's not saying nobody's going to condemn you. People will often try to condemn you. What he's saying is it doesn't matter who tries to condemn you if Christ has justified you. It doesn't matter what they say. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. People, we have much to be thankful for. Happy Thanksgiving. You are dismissed.